Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the sun gets set to shine. Cigar heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne. Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, it is your birthday and the Suns have given you a present. They have, Max. It is my birthday here in Australia. Uh, You're in the past back there in the US, but I'm going to come in hot for this one because it's my birthday, I'm allowed to, and the Suns have actually given us some reasons to come in hot, Max. So... You know, we've wanted the real stuff back, and in typical Suns fashion, they've given us a ton to talk about. Bad pun, very much intended there, Max. (laughs) Yeah, and the excitement of last night, that eight news kind of got lost a little bit, but it's still the biggest news, I think, of the week. But uh, before we get into that, we're going to do that, and obviously breakdowns of all three games, uh, starting with the Clippers game, then we'll go back in time to the Kings game, and then we'll finish up with the Nuggets game. But uh, first, how about uh, a little bit of recap, David, and then we'll get into the eight and stuff. Yes, I'll go over those games really quickly. I'm sure all the listeners tuned in for those. But first up versus Sacramento at home was a 124-95 to win. Booker had 22-10. and Rubio had 11-11 in his son's debut. Aiton had 18-11 and four blocks. And Ubre had 21-9. and Then we moved on to away at Denver. The loss, 107-108. And what a weird game that was, Max. Mm-hmm. But... Ubre had 23 and 8 in that one. Book had a down night, but still had 18, 5, and 7. And Frank Kaminsky told us he was all here with 19 and 11 in that one. And then the win, Max, the big win at home again, back to back after Denver, which is basically the worst trip in the NBA. The Suns won 130 to 122. Our man Devin Booker had 36 and 8 in that one. Our other man, Frank Kaminsky, had 18, <laughs> 8, and 6 assists, Max. Ubre had 25, 1, 3, and 1, which I wanted to give a little shout-out to because he stuffed the box score. And Sharich finally hit back and had 15 and 10 in that one, Max. But I'm not sure if you or the listeners are ready for this. Our first record recap, 2 and 1, the Suns. The first time since 2015 First in our division, fifth in the conference, and ninth in the league. I'm not sure we were ready for that one, Max. But there's a couple of leads to this episode. We don't want to bury either of them, but we certainly shouldn't bury the big one before all this went down, and that was the news that DeAndre Ayton was suspended for 25 games, Max. Yeah, uh, it really is kind of the turd in the punch bowl right now that it happened. I mean, you know, the Suns are the surprise of the league. It's not just Suns fans who are kind of inspired by this team. I've seen fans of other teams that actually reached out to me and been like, hey, I love watching your team on League Pass now. This is amazing. (laughs) Uh, So it's just wonderful. But yeah, that's 25-game suspension. uh, In case you haven't heard, I've been under a rock. He took a diuretic, which is something that essentially flushes 
uh, other chemicals out of your system. So because the NBA automatically assumes that if you flush everything out of your system, you flush the worst possible thing out of your system. Mm-hmm. You got a 25-game suspension for the first violation. Um, the, you know, and he's also appealing it. I, I kind of went over on Twitter a little bit. I went all lawyery on this and went <laughs> the CBA and outlined why it's basically impossible that Aiton's going to get this thing overturned. He would have to essentially prove uh, how it happened, but that you know the way it happened had nothing to do with him at all. And even if he took reasonable care, uh, he still couldn't have prevented it. So essentially, he would have to be drugged by somebody would be the only way to get out of it. So I, I would expect him to serve this whole suspension. Maybe he gets a few games knocked off. But uh, it's, it's a bummer, David. I mean, DeAndre had a great first game. He was much better defensively than he was almost all of last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, offensively, he was a beast. You know, he was finishing around the rim uh, with that epic touch that he has. Uh, it was just, it was great to watch. I saw him in person. He was, he looked, you know, I don't want to suggest he's doing steroids or anything, David, but he did look bigger. Uh, and it's just a bummer, David. I don't know, what are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, originally we both did the same thing and went straight to the CBA. So we kind of have the same view on that appeal process because it's it is pretty clear cut um you know you're not going to get it down because it's too harsh against past penalties or that he didn't know what he was doing you know it's going to stay at 25 games if that's what happens you know the interesting thing is the the players association do only have two appeals per year and they you know appear to be going pretty hard at this one so you know Obviously, they don't come up very often, so they're not going to be worried about burning, you know, one of their appeals Mm -hmm. here. But, you know, they do have to prove that he ingested it without his knowledge, basically. Not that he ingested it by mistake or thought, you know, he was taking something else and it happened to be in there. Like, those things just don't wash. It, It literally has to be like that someone spiked you or... You know, it was totally without your knowledge, which is obviously going to be a really tough ask. And probably the only other thing I would say on that is, you know, Aiton's statement and then James Jones's statement, they weren't exactly going too hard at the fact that they thought that this was an injustice mm-hmm. and, and needed to be overturned. It was kind of accountability from the get-go, which, you know, is good to see maturity from both him and the team, bit a bit of professionalism, but... Uh, just a really tough pill to swallow. Uh, another bad pun for you there, Max. But <laughs> you know, I, I'm not all that comfortable commenting, um, you know, or speculating on you know what he was doing or why. I think in in the black and white of it, you explained it pretty well of of why you might take something like that. You know, there's other things like weight loss. Uh, a few people commented the fact that um, a lot of people use it for high blood pressure. So there are other variables there, but I, I'm not too comfortable really speculating on what the hell Aiton was doing. But at the end of the day, I, I'm just pretty mad at Aiton, to be honest. I, I'm kind of over this whole shtick of like him not being able to do anything wrong or uh, you know, being hard done by all the time or just being a kid. Like, he's a pro athlete. You know, we went through a massive thing here in Australia with a, a whole team getting shut down because uh, they, you know, unwillingly took some stuff that was on a banned list and, and got banned wow. for 12 months. And it, that's just dragged on forever. And you just can't, you know, the big thing that I learned from that is is you can't have excuses. You're a pro athlete. You're a grown man. You're in charge of what goes into your body. Uh, and you need to be better. And I hope he comes back better, Max. Uh, I think, you know, we'll discuss the on-court stuff as we go through the three games. Probably it's going to come up quite a lip, uh, quite a bit. But, you know, overall development-wise is probably the biggest bummer. You know, second season, we talked about all off-season. Such a big thing for Aiton. And now he's going to miss, you know, a third of it, basically. 
Yeah, it was a key, key season for him, and it makes it all the harder that he looked really good in the first game. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it makes it even tougher. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I'm also, I don't know if I'm mad at Aiton. I think that he made a mistake because, you know, it's 25 games. It sucks. It's not the end of his career or anything like that. I think there was a little bit of overreaction both ways to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's just a bummer. Uh, and, you know, I actually don't want to focus on it too much anymore because I'm so happy about what else is going on. Uh, Aiton will come back. Hopefully the Suns are still playing the way they're playing right now. When he comes back, hopefully he can kind of fit into the system because I think there are uh, a little some issues with that. He's not, you know, quite the level of moving the ball around passer that yeah. you know Baines has been, and etc. We'll see. I think he'll be fine when he fits back in, but it's going to be sort of a weird integration process. Yeah, I was just going to say the the positive look to take is that it's not an injury and that he's going to have mm-hmm. to you know sit out. Yep. Uh, you know, he's still going to be able to work. You know, it, one thing worth noting is he can still be with the team, train with the team. He just has to leave stadiums, I believe, two hours before a game starts. So you know, if it was an injury, we'd be thinking even worse. You know, if it would, particularly yep. if it was a major injury. So that's the positive look to take here. Hopefully, he can keep his cardio uh, and work on his game a, a little bit while he's doing this because as you said we're going to get into it right now but the, this team has a bit of a different look about it and, and Aiton's going to have to come back hopefully being able to fit in with that rather than have the team fit around him Max. I love your point about the fact when he comes back you know he's not coming off an injury so he should like go right back into the uh, swing of things not like when Booker has his you know knick-knack injuries he always comes back and he's not actually healthy not going to have that issue here Aiton should go back full strength so uh we look forward to that, but for now, we have good things to talk about, David. Uh, the Suns, as you mentioned earlier, won 130-122 to at home on the second night of a back-to-back against arguably the best team in the entire league without both DeAndre Ayton and Ricky Rubio. Somehow, David, <laughs> they won this game without Ricky Rubio, who I think was probably getting the lion's share of the credit for the turnaround mm-hmm. until now, which I think was deserved. He was awesome, particularly in the Denver game. He really did a lot for us in that one. But uh, tonight, they didn't really miss a beat, David. I think the system that Monty Williams has installed uh, offensively, he has all the players buying into it. They all know their roles. They, they all kind of do the same thing. They're working towards the same goal. There's not a lot of record scratches. It's really fun to watch, David. It really is. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there that you know all these players know what they're doing. You know, I highlighted... Uh, a clip just before we jumped on here, Max, with you know off-ball movement stuff. Yesterday, I highlighted a defensive clip on my own timeline, uh, just where you know the rotations were kind of locked in and, and everyone knew what they were doing. No, it, n- none of it is rocket science. You know, it's not overly mm-hmm. flashy or anything like that. It's just really solid, and it's it's really weird for us to watch, Max, because it's just regular NBA players doing what they should and what they get paid for on the court, and you know the results are that it allows your guys like Devin Booker to step up to the plate when they need to and take over the game. And that's exactly what he did last night against the Clippers, Max. Oh, man. Devin Booker down the stretch was so good. Him fouling out Patrick Beverly was had to be the play of the game. Either that or his insane pull-up three from like three feet behind the line. Or the time when he went in and got the foul after the Clippers were on that run and got it down to seven and Booker just professionally goes into the paint and draws a foul just you know, like he knew he would. Uh, he was he was an animal down the stretch, uh, but he wasn't the only hero last night. Uh, I gotta throw out some praise for Javon Carter. Yeah, uh, I was I was hating on him a little. We all, a couple of us were. You know, he was really bad offensively last season. Uh, it's still early, but it looks like the shooting might be real, David. It, it doesn't look like it's fake. It's going in. The shot looks good. 
Uh, some of the plays he had down the uh, stretch of the third quarter there were just ridiculous. Uh, whatever that spin move in the lane was that he shot, I don't, know how, <laughs> I don't even know if he knew he had, had that in his bag, David. Do you think he knew he could do that? <laughs> I don't think so. He was pretty pumped after it, as all of us were. Uh, I was pretty annoyed as he took it into the paint because it was kind of one on two at least uh, with the rest mm-hmm. of his teammates in the backcourt. And that was the kind of stuff that we're talking about with Carter is that he gets a little bit hero ball and that's where it begets to be a little bit of a concern. You know, last night he was three of seven from the field, two of five from three. The great thing about him is he's when he's the open man, you know, I think he maybe missed one from the corner last night, but when the ball is getting moved to him as the open shooter, he's knocking it down and that's all you yep. need from him. And then, you know, the defense on top of that, which last night he definitely took it to another level again and had some really key plays that ended up in buckets for the Suns. But, you know, the only concern with him, and I've got to praise Monty here because I thought last night he was perfect with this, is you don't want the ball in Carter's hands too much. You know, I actually talked about Carter all the way back when this pod started as one of those five guys in that draft that might be a perfect, you know, Patrick Beverly type next to Devin Booker in the backcourt, Max, before he was drafted. And, you know, that's what you want him to do, kind of secondary playmaking, not overdoing it as the lead ball handler on the floor. And Monty really did that last night. He gave him his turn, Mm -hmm. but when the Suns really needed buckets, they gave the ball to Devin Booker. And that's what you should be doing. And probably even more importantly, when the game was really on the line, Monty sensed the shift and just wanting to get vets on the floor and he put Tyler Johnson in Tyler Johnson in sorry and you know he stepped up to the plate as well and that's the the thing here is Monty's calling guys numbers and and they're all stepping up to the plate at the moment it's not going to happen forever but it's damn sure encouraging to see and we definitely have to give it up for Javon Carter because he's doing his job uh, exactly as we're asking him to right now he absolutely is. Uh, I, I want to move on to what I think is maybe the story of the game for me, okay. and that is the play of the uh, three giant white guys, I guess I'll put it. <laughs> uh, Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky. Between them, they made, let's see, three threes for Dario, one for Baines, three for Frank. Frank had six assists. Baines had three assists. Sarge had three assists. When you're getting that kind of production out of your big man rotation, that's why this team looks so fun, man. Those guys are moving the ball. Those guys are, you know, they're they're so skilled for their size, and they're really is what's they're, they're what's making this whole thing work, David. Yep, thirty-two assists to sixteen turnovers last night, Max, and that is the key wow. to both that game and probably the way that the Suns are going to play. Uh, for the for the whole season and you know we've touched on it before and you're touching on it here with the the three big white guys you know shooting is at a premium in the league and the Suns now have shooting at pretty mm-hmm. much every position and playmaking as well you know not only is it adding a guy like Ricky Rubio you know we we touched on in the off season they they can roll out lineups where there's you know, great passes at every single position. And that's how you can run a .5 offense. And that's how you can ping the ball around. That's how you can get backdoor cuts. You know, the the plays that I highlighted earlier today with, you know, the paint wide open and, and guards actually accumulating a lot of the points in the paint because the shooting and the passing is just, put, you know, making defense make decisions and the Suns are just yeah. one step ahead at the moment. And, and that's crazy to think about, but it's the truth when you watch the film. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, you mentioned the shooting across the lineup. Now, the only son not to pick a three last night was Elliot Kobo. 
the only one who didn't make one out of what the ten players who played. That's just not something that happened last year. Yeah, and can uh, I just incredible. praise Monty one more time very quickly, yes. Max? Ali Kobo stepped on. He played what? Maybe played five total minutes. He played five minutes. Those five minutes were probably better than anything we saw last year in terms yep. of his confidence. He took Patrick Beverly off, or maybe Lou Williams off the dribble and scored a bucket. He took a three, uh, didn't go in, but he looked confident. You know, five minutes, great. They needed it. They're a bit short in the rotation, but he actually stepped in and wasn't tentative and knew what, again, like you said before, knew what his role was, wasn't afraid to take the ball to the, the bucket when, you know, his number was called. And uh, great to see, really great to see. Monty yep. has these guys really believing in themselves and each other. And uh, it, it's pretty hard not to be pumped about it right now, Max. It's really a plug-and-play offense to a certain extent. As long as the guys can shoot a little bit and pass a little bit, you can play on this team. Yep. And, and they really have a system set up for them, and it, it's a lot of fun. And that, and that seems sustainable to me, which I think is my favorite part about it. Uh, but, David, to a certain extent, uh, I don't want to use this phrase again. I use it a million times in this podcast. I might be burying the lead. Uh, Kelly Oubre Jr., David, is a force so far this season. He is a huge force. I had to uh, post his shot chart last night after the Clippers game. Uh, I'll go overall totals before we talk about the Clippers game specifically, but he's 19 of 19 currently for the three games on free throws, Max. Uh, He's 65% at the rim, and he's taking 59% of his shots in that spot, and he's just 5 from 13 from 3, so not overdoing it and still hitting at a pretty decent rate of around 38% right now. I commented this to you. uh, I commented it to all of my followers on Twitter I think he kind of gets it, Max. Like, he's playing analytical ball. He's going to the cup or he's taking the wide open three when it's there. And this is kind of exactly what we wanted when he signed that deal. Like, it's pretty scary. Yeah, the only thing he's not really doing very much is passing. It's not in his game yet, but I agree. Everything else, he's he's really just cut out the BS. Uh, He is terrifying when he goes to the rim now, David. Uh, He's also kind of being a terrifying offensive rebounder, too. Uh, he's just amazing. That, that, that put back dunk he had last night, uh, and this is another part of his game that we can't not talk about. It's just his energy is infectious. He blew up the stadium with that thing. This guy running around, he's doing push-ups on the floor. He's just so swaggy. Like, the fans love him, David. In that stadium, like, Kelly Oubre oozes charisma. He totally does. He's the heart and soul of the team. Devin Booker's the best player. DeAndre Ayton's the you know up-and-coming, promising guy. There's a lot of good players on this team now, but Kelly Oubre is the heart and soul, and I think, again, maybe this podcast is going to be saying we're, we're wrong on a few things, Max, but yep. we were wrong on him starting. I think yes. on current evidence, you know, he can be a 20-point scorer for this team, particularly while Aiton's out. That's the question I wanted to throw at you. You know, we're going to get to Aiton being out in a little bit with the Kings game maybe in particular, but, you know, they're going to need another primary scorer. That's a lot of points and rebounds that, that go off the floor. It's going to have to be shared between a few guys, but I think Ubre's essentially putting his hand up as being that number two guy, at least for the next 25 games, Max. Totally agree with you. And the reason why is he's really the only guy on the roster with eight and out uh, other than Booker who can sort of like just create offense on, you know, his, on his own. Yep. The way he creates free throws, his free throw rate is he's at a 49 uh, free throw rate right now, which is absurdly high. It'll come down a little bit. Yeah. He's also at a 68 true shooting, which is also absurd. It'll come down. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when we need a bucket, one of the go-tos on this team has to be Ubre going to the hole because he can get there and he gets fouled all the time and he's making his free throws. Like 
If he if he can keep shooting, I mean, he's not going to make every free throw, but if he keeps his free throw percentage, you know, in the 85% range, him going to the rim will be our second best weapon on this team, dude. Yeah, and there's probably two points to make there that are really key from this offseason, from him personally and then from the team. There's space. So Mm -hmm. the shooting allows Oubre, you know, we've noted last season and in the offseason, he can get a little bit, you know, blinkers on and the lane kind of puts his head down and and it's very easy to read for the defense. But if you create a little bit more space for him with shooters, that's great. And he can go right and finish with the right. You know, that's pretty much all he's doing exclusively at the moment. It's catching defenses you know off guard because the scouting report hasn't been updated on him yet like he's finishing with his right hand a lot and we heard that he'd worked on it a lot in the offseason and it didn't you know it doesn't appear to be you know bullshit peak offseason talk like he literally did and and that's really good to see uh he needs to pick up the defense a little bit you know he makes the flashy plays but he still makes some pretty lazy mistakes which you know i'm being super hard on him here but you know he did state that he wants to make an all-defensive team one day and and you just can't have those lapses. Probably my one concern there is as the offensive load on him grows, particularly while Aiton's out, uh, you know, does that side of the ball drop off a little bit from Kelly Oubre? That'll definitely be something to watch over the next 10 or so games that we can talk about on future pods. But I don't want to end on a dampener with him because he has been incredible. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. That is one area he needs to shore up. But at the same time, you also pointed out the flashy plays are fun, David. He has very <laughs> long arms. It's very fun to see him get into passing lanes. That put back last night, you know, basically oh, putting it up for himself. Uh, go back and watch it if anyone is able to watch replays. Watch Devin Booker. His hands are just out like, why didn't you give me the ball in the transition? And then he just has to stick out his hand and give Kelly a high five because, you know, <laughs> it, you, you get the bucket, you get the crowd going, you know, you just shrug your shoulders and move on. And, and that's Kelly to a T-Max. One guy who's maybe been a bit of a disappointment so far, who I want to get a shout-out in on this game because it was probably his best game, was uh, Mikel Bridges. Yes. Um, looked a little more confident uh, shooting in this game. Uh, I played some decent defense on Kawhi, had some tough calls go against him. And, you know, he's not strong enough to stay with Kawhi, but I thought overall he played pretty well. I, you know, it's, it's disappointing, especially in the Denver game, to see how little he played. Mm-hmm. That was really disappointing. But, you know, the first game in, the, in this game were... It was a little bit better, a little more encouraging. I still think our best lineup is probably going to end up having both Mikel and Oubre in it at some point this season. Yep. It played really well in the first game, so it's important to get him going. Uh, we're watching that one closely. Yeah, he played 26 minutes last night against the Clippers, only 13 in the Denver game where we all freaked out a little bit. You know, There's yeah. no shortage of good wing players in the NBA like Kawhi Leonard. You know, maybe Denver was a bad matchup. You know, they don't, you know, they were running Barton at the three from memory. They don't have a lot of depth there. So, you know, I'm not panicked both in that Mikhail's not going to play. I think Monty showed last night there's going to be plenty of occasions where they need his defense. And, you know, he actually showed a little bit more on offense, hit a three, you know, some great off-ball movement, two great cuts. You know, he was in those clips that I posted. He's just a smart basketball player. I said last night, I've still got... You know, I tipped him to be the most improved player on this team, uh, and I'm still rolling with that. I think just the eye test, Max, I'm seeing things from him where I'm just like, he's going to explode at some point, and and everyone's going to be very shocked by it, but I am not. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100% on that. The guy is just a brilliant basketball player. Those long arms are the kind of physical trait that just makes you an outlier. Yep. And, man, like when he's guarding certain people, he just, just feasts on them, man. You can't like dribble around him sometimes. When he gets a little stronger, when he's in his prime, he's going to be an absolute menace. 
Uh, we were hoping he may show it earlier this season than he than he has, but you know, there's there's a lot of time left because we're only in game three. Uh, one more guy I want to highlight a little bit, and maybe this will be a good way to transition into the the Kings game a little bit. Yep, is uh, Tyler Johnson. I think he's been an unsung hero. He's been really, really good, David. And in the Kings game in particular, his explosion kind of in the early, I think it was the early fourth, maybe been late third, hit a couple threes. Like he's he's really been shooting the ball well. Uh, he's been sort of the guy, uh, in addition to Ubre, that the kind of the offense. You know, you, when you need to kind of get the offense going, you kind of go to him a little bit because he can create stuff for stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just been really happy with him. I think it's interesting the decision Monty's made to have him be the backup shooting guard and not play point guard. I think a lot of that's his faith. And uh, Javon Carter, yeah. uh, but you know, overall, I've been extremely happy with Tyler. If he keeps playing like this, then he's exactly what we need uh, from that spot. You're talking to the king of the Tyler Johnson hive here, Max. So you do not <laughs> need to convince me. I just think he looks healthy and the shot looks yeah. good. I think a lot of fans who maybe hadn't seen Tyler Johnson in the past were maybe a little bit disappointed by his overall play. Uh, in the 12 or so games that he played last season for the Suns before then getting injured again. I just think, again, he's another perfect example of, you know, a capable NBA rotation player that we're not used to seeing as Phoenix fans. And, you know, the shot's going down. There'll be times this year where the shot's not going down. But the great thing about Tyler, he's got so much more else to his game that he's going to keep contributing. And, you know, not to uh, go back to my previous point too much, but I think it's a big, big sign, the fact that he threw, Monty being he here, threw Tyler Mm -hmm. Johnson in at the end there to finish the game. I think he Mm -hmm. has got the utmost faith in him as well. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Maybe we'll end with a Monty quote, uh, just because I've been super impressed by him so far. I love that the Suns account has been posting little things of, uh, you know, his end of game uh, motivational talks to the players and stuff. But (laughs) there was another quote in the media uh, about Devin Booker, who was clearly the player of this game. And Monty saying, I think he's tired of the same old, same old. And I think that's Mm. very true. And he's very happy to finally have what looks to be a competent NBA team, Max. He does. Yeah. One last thing on the Clippers game. I don't want to get lost on Booker's passing, particularly in the interior to bigs is pretty freaking good right now, David. Uh, he actually leads the NBA in total assists. Yep. Not totally fair because he's played three games. A lot of teams only played two, but still, that's pretty damn impressive with Ricky Rubio on your team. He's sharing the ball a lot more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, Devin Booker had a nightmare game in the Nuggets game we'll get to. I uh, just couldn't put the ball in the bucket uh, for most of the game. But overall this season, I think you have to be extremely pleased with what you're seeing from Devin Booker. From a leadership standpoint, he's great. I think it was a Nuggets game where he refused to sub. I know maybe it was the Kings game. He refused to sub because Tyler was just playing so well. Yep. He told Monty no. And that's just awesome leadership. Um, there's times where he's looked, you know, every bit the scorer that we that we love. He looks healthy. He's had a lot of burst. Uh, again, the passing's great. The defense is a little bit better. I mean, he's not a great defender, David, but it's better than it has been. The effort's there. The effort's there. And that's As great. we predicted on this podcast, David, as soon as Devin Booker has a real team around him, he's not going to be that bad on defense. He's going to not be good, but not that bad. Yep. And he has, I just looked it up while you were talking, 25 assists to 10 turnovers so far and maybe the one thing to end on with this game with Rubio being out in particular Mm -hmm. is I think we have further evidence of staggering the two because uh you know obviously things the kinks are going to get worked out a little bit and I don't want to judge the Booker Rubio relationship too much off those first two games uh but Booker needs the ball in his hand for a fair chunk of time 
uh, yep. to be effective. And his playmaking, as you said, in these first three games has been really, really good. So we need to actually use that a little bit more, Monty. Yeah, if Javon Carter really can shoot like this, and I mean, not like this, he's like a 58% right now, but you know what, reasonably well, yeah. Uh, then I think it makes a lot of sense for those two to play together because that you want Booker with the ball in his hands, and if Javon can actually make people guard him and create spacing... Uh, it makes a lot of sense for that, you know, that whole thing with the defense on the other side. Javon Cover uh, can take the point guard. Makes a lot of sense. Totally uh, agree. Right. Let's go to the Kings game, David. Perhaps we should spend a lot of time on DeAndre Ayton here since he only played in this game of the three. Yes. Um, he was really damn good, David. I, I loved what he was doing on the offensive boards, uh, boards in general. He was really good. Uh, my favorite sequence, like probably everyone's favorite sequence from him, was that when he had that block. Uh, I think it was like a jump shot. Went down and just scored like a man on the other end. He was great. He had a, a, a dribble take kind of move that yep. we wanted to see from him all last year. He had one of those. He was just really, really good, David. There were some some of the same old defensive mistakes that there were last year, but they were uh, minimized. And overall, he was just he was a force, David. He was. He set the tone. That was the best mm-hmm. way that I could describe it after that game. You know, he had the four blocks, which is great from a accounting yep. point of view. But he's just his defense overall. You know, his pick and roll drop coverage, I think they really tried to target him. And, you know, he looked really good in most situations. You know, Coles Wicker has noted this a million times before. It it has been overstated how good he is with the ball in front of him, Um, you know, or understated, I should say, and then probably not talked about enough, you know, how bad he is as, as making reads as a help guy and stuff. But, you know, the motor looked impressive. You know, I thought the effort was a lot more consistent than what we saw in yep. preseason, and, and maybe that was just you know him believing he's already a star and he wasn't going to exert himself too much in in those preseason games, and we overreacted a, a little bit to that. Uh, and as I noted after that game, I thought he, he he's primed to be just an absolute monster on the offensive glass this season. I you know I think he probably could have led the league in offensive boards if he played the whole season. Mm-hmm. So you know I think. Probably my only question here in terms of Aiton and, and after that game is what we what are we going to miss the most, Max? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think in large part, I, here's where it's really going to be bad is if Baines goes out with an injury or Kaminsky goes out with an injury. Yes. Uh, the depth is now not there anymore. We have to have all of our guys healthy now or yeah. it's not going to work. So that's probably the biggest thing. Um, the other thing I think is probably the, the rebounding. Um, although, you know, Baines provides a decent amount of that as well. I do think, as, as much as I think DeAndre Drayton is probably, you know, the, the second or third best player on our team, we have a lot of guys who can do what he does reasonably well, so his absence is not as bad as, say, you know, Booker's would be, or uh, we thought Rubio's would be. Apparently, it doesn't matter as much as we thought. Um, or maybe even Ubre's, because, uh, you know, Ubre's really the engine uh, of the second unit and also of just kind of the team in general, as you mentioned earlier, the heart and soul. Yeah. So I think I think it's tough to pinpoint one thing with Aiton, um, but, you know, we're, we're clearly going to miss him. Yeah, the, the talent drop-off and the depth drop-off, I think, as you said there, is probably the two things that I'm the most worried about. Uh, stupid old me said that they should have actually packed it in for the Clippers game. Mm. Uh, for that very reason, you know, I'm worried mm-hmm. about Baines. Like he's not used to playing probably more than 20 or so minutes a night. Uh, I think he played close to 30 in the Denver game, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, I was actually surprised when I look back. He only played 23 in this Clippers one, partly due to some foul trouble. But they're doing a really good job of kind of using him and Kaminsky and even Sharich sometimes as a, a small ball five. So those mm-hmm. three guys again are, are going to make up the numbers here. 
I just think over 25 games, you know, the NBA can be pretty brutal. We might see a little patch here where uh, we really miss the presence of DeAndre Ayton purely from a, a depth point of view and, and what he does in terms of drawing the attention uh, when he's on the floor. But, you know, don't want to dwell on that too much, but we definitely had to touch on it, uh, particularly after his very, very impressive first game against the Kings, who, by the way, don't look very good themselves. So thank God mm-hmm. we uh, looked better in our next two games and uh, it wasn't just a an aberration like it was last season, Max. Yeah, they are. They're struggling under Mister uh, Luke Walden. It seems like Eagle. But, uh, yeah, be, <laughs> that'd be hilarious if they fired Luke Walton and Igor took over. I would, I would I, I've been tipping it, Max. Uh, I'm, I'm. If it comes, <laughs> I'm gonna uh, put my hand up and say that I predicted that one because he's in the box seat. Uh, if there is a change, be nice to see Bogdan start. That'd be cool. Uh, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker pick and roll, David. That's what I'm gonna miss the most. I thought of that while you were talking. Yeah, uh, that pick and roll looked unstoppable. Like, just imagine defending that. You can't sag huff Booker at all anytime. Or he'll just pull up and shoot a three. Yep. Uh, which Chris Hansen, he looks better at this season. Shut up. <laughs> uh, and then DeAndre Ayton going to the rim is one of the more terrifying things. I mean, he can finish anything. Yes. It's just, it's a really, really, really hard play to defend. I think we're going to miss that. And then the other answer I thought of was, I think it's harder to play the Ubre McKell lineup uh, if you don't have Ayton. Yes. He makes the most sense with that. So I, that's the two things I think we're going to miss the most from him. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the pick and roll. It, it's just going to be so dangerous in the future. You know, yeah. the fact that Aiton can stop as well and hit that mid-range, you know, and yep. then if he can, you know, he's got good vision and he's a good passer. So probably the last thing he needs to add on that is if Booker hits him on the short roll, if he can hit the uh, shooter in the corner for three when someone rotates over to try and draw a charge on him, uh, when at the moment he's kind of just stopping on a dime and taking the, the little mid-range short jumper. But if the guy really rotates well and gets in his face, if he can finally hit that corner passer which he's been able to do but do it consistently then that pick and roll just becomes something you can basically build a whole offense around it and really lean on in crunch time situations so yeah we're gonna miss that uh and that's probably again going back to the development point earlier with Aiton it's gonna suck that he doesn't get 25 games of of running more of that with Devin Booker after what we saw in game one Max yeah, it really is. It, it's a bummer. Um, hopefully, I mean, the key is just to keep this team competitive until he comes back. If this team is at 500 when he comes back, it'll be it'll be fun. He'll integrate in, and it'll be good. It's just if they're gonna if they're bad and he comes back, it could, get, it could be a little bit sad. But let's not talk about sad things, David. It's a happy time. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to talk about one semi-sad thing, but it got better at the Clippers game, so it's not going to be too sad. Dar- Darius Sharge had a tough start to the season, especially offensively. Yeah, uh, really just wasn't making anything. Uh, it had some bad turnover. He just didn't really look that great. Uh, remember the, uh, the Clippers game? It got a little bit better. Uh, made made some shots. Uh, I actually had some. Really, I had one really nice pass to Booker, uh, cutting to the basket. I liked. So the, there's some good things with him. Uh, I think it's interesting that Frank versus Dario thing. Dario is more of a natural power forward, so I still think he's going to remain the starter, David. But Frank Kaminsky is a better basketball player than Dario Saric. At least that's what I'm seeing so far, David. Yeah, it's amazing for NBA players if they can start seeing the ball go through the hoop, how the rest of the mm-hmm. game kind of, you know, comes across. You know, Dario was really persevering and trying to add elsewhere, even when he wasn't hitting shots in this Kings game uh, and in the Denver one as well. But yeah, as you said, the Clippers one started seeing the ball go through the hoop, particularly from three. And then all of a sudden he's got 10 rebounds, three assists, two steals. So, you know, I think he was a little bit down on confidence 
Uh, I think you're right, at least at the moment, about the Frank Dario comparison. Uh, and we'll probably get into it a little bit more after Did You Know when we go to the Denver game. But, you know, I think the fact that Frank is going to be able to play a lot more at what I consider to be his natural position as the five mm-hmm. means that, at least for now, uh, the conversation between Dario and Frank and, and stealing minutes off each other isn't one that we necessarily have to worry about because we're going to need both of them a lot and we're probably going to see guys like Kelly Oubre and, and things at the backup power forward position instead, Max. Yeah, no, totally. They're both going to play a lot during these next uh, series of games. But I think even when Aiton comes back, they're going to play a decent amount. They, they played a decent amount when Aiton was around. Yeah. Um, they're just really key to this team. Frank was the first sub, I believe, on night one. Uh, I think, you know, uh, Monty really likes what Frank brings because, you know, this whole point of this system is every, the whole, you know, everyone can shoot, everyone moves the ball, you know, passing, what is it, the, the half second, 0.5 seconds or whatever it is. Yep. Uh, Frank kind of epitomizes that. Um, but also at the same time, you can kind of throw it to him down low and he can get a bucket. He just does a lot for this team. He can score it a lot of different ways. And I think that's another point I want to make. Sort of more of the Clippers game, but it was the Kings game too. The Suns have so many players who can do a variety of things in offense. Uh, they can score inside a little bit. Like Aaron Baines is pretty money around the rim, it seems like. Even though he hasn't been in his, in his life so far, right, David? So maybe I shouldn't expect that to continue. He has concrete hands, I would say, Max. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he was fin- he's been finishing, at least. Lately. Hey, if he can uh, dunk it, it's fine. And if he can get over that kind of drop step over the left shoulder off the glass it's pretty money as well but yeah you'll see at times listeners with putbacks and things he he doesn't have deandre Ayton touch let's let's say that much <laughs> that is fair <laughs> uh but hey he's making his free throws they're a very good free throw shooting team right now david incredible i think it'll probably keep going too the only guys under 80 percent who have shot free throws are dario 66 he should shoot better uh mikel 60 he's just in his own head and then cam johnson only shot two free throws so Oh, everyone else is over 80% from the line. That's great. Uh, I, mm, man, I, I really want to see... Uh, uh, what do you think about this, David? I was talking to my friends about this. Aiden and Frank, to me, makes some sense. Am I, am I crazy? It, you're not totally crazy, particularly from like a high-low perspective. Um, you know, you get into a little bit of discussion about whether Aiden's essentially playing some power forward with those two together. Because as you said, Frank is pretty decent down low. But, you know, if he's on the floor with Aiton, it's mainly going to be as a stretch guy. Uh, and he's hitting his shots at the moment and, you know, really creating space for the team. So, yeah, I don't think you're overly crazy, Max. I think we're probably going to have to see it because if the next 25 games go like the last three have, Frank's essentially going to be sitting there going, hey, I know you guys, you know, liked me quite a bit already, but, you know, I need my playing time and you can't exactly not play DeAndre Ayton. So you're going to have to figure out a way to play us together a little bit more. Yeah, and I imagine they're going to start trying to amp up uh, Cam Johnson's minutes too. Yep. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a bit of a roster crunch coming. but uh, Competition, I guess the only... Max. There's going to be so much competition, good. and I absolutely I love, it. love it. Should we talk about the impact of Rubio to end the Kings game, Max? Yeah, we probably shouldn't not talk about Rubio this <laughs> long in the podcast. So let's get to him. Uh, it was amazing, David, particularly just to start the game, watching them like, have a real point guard who actually could run the offense. He actually got dribble penetration, kicked out to shooters. Uh, and it wasn't Devin Booker doing it. It was it was wonderful. He was great for Aiton right away. He really was. And he's great for the team right away. You know, yeah. probably the thing that has impressed me the most is 
when Devin Booker's on the attack and he gets kind of closed down, you know, particularly last season, but, you know, his whole career, generally he then has to give the ball up and the offense essentially dies and then they have to run something again with, you know, maybe eight seconds left on the shot clock or something like that. The great thing that I've seen about Booker and Rubio, and, you know, was the first play of this Kings game actually, is Booker penetrates, goes baseline, they cover him off, Rubio comes from the corner, gives it off to Rubio, and Rubio attacks again straight away. And mm-hmm. we're just not used to seeing that because we don't generally have a second guy that can attack after Booker's already tried. And, you know, Rubio got one of his kind of classic uh, reverse finishes under the bucket on that play because the the defense really collapsed on Booker and they didn't get a chance to reset themselves again. And, you know, that's Rubio and that's also point five is we're not letting defenses... Yep kind of settle here we're just kind of attack 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 shooting 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 and it's really getting even some great defenses kind of back on their heels a little bit and and not really understanding what the Suns are doing it's going to be really interesting once the scouting report again gets updated on the Suns how we adjust but you know Rubio that's been great super handsy on defense like he just creates deflections and steals and you know just pressure basically on guys gambles a little bit but you've kind of got to have something like that you know the the impressive thing about me in the Kings game with Aiton's play getting back on D is it really allowed the perimeter guys like Rubio to be super aggressive and again Mm -hmm. that's another thing that we've missed we just haven't had that point of attack defense and we've just we've been the team kind of back on our heels constantly because we can't put any pressure on them and you know, this team is playing defense, Max. We, we definitely need to talk about that at some point. But just to end on Rubio, shooting 26%, only two games, but yet to hit a three. So we're definitely going to need to watch that. But to have 10 assists in both of his games, uh, you know, he only averaged six and, 6.1 last year, I think. So I think that's going to be up. And I just hope the knee is okay. And it, it's just a short thing for Rubio because as great as that Clippers game was last night, I think it's still pretty clear. We're going to need Rubio over the course of 82 games, Max. Yeah. They called it a contusion, which is essentially a bruise. It feels to me like if it wasn't a back-to-back, he plays the very next game, but it was yeah. a back-to-back coming from Denver after overtime. It was just, it was just too soon after. Yeah. I'd be surprised to see him not suit up uh, for our next game, which I believe is Utah at home. Is that right? Correct. Um, so I think he plays in that game. I hope he does. We're going to need him in that game. That's going to be tough. Uh, you pointed out maybe the, the glaring hole with him. He's been pretty bad as far as his own scoring goes. Um, that 26% from the field is rough. The, as you pointed out, 0% from three is not great. There's a little, <laughs> bit, of, it's a little bit of junk from him sometimes in the, in the mid-range around the rim. It's okay, though. It doesn't really bother me. It's, it's, it's sort of in the flow of things. Um, but, I mean, I think the key that you're making with him, he's, he's sort of like if – if Kelly Oubre is the heart and soul of the team, Ricky Rubio is the brain of the team, I think kind of on both sides. Even in the Clippers game, he didn't play, but you kind of, kind of feel his influence on the offense, couldn't you? Like It was running the way Ricky Rubio would, would run the offense if he was out there. I just had a moment where I forgot that we do a podcast and people can't actually see us because I'm just sitting here nodding along to all the points (laughs) that you're making, Max, because, yeah, he is. He's the brain and he's the leader. He brings them together when they need to be. He explains what they're going to do on the next play or what they did wrong on the last play. You know, he's the coach on the floor, as Monty loves to say, and it's just, it's great to have... Um, You know, again, not to harp on it too much, but particularly while the shooting's rough, I would love to see Monty experiment 
with staggering a little bit. Maybe last night gave Monty a little bit more confidence if he was thinking mm-hmm. about doing that a little bit more, particularly with Carter's play with Booker. As you, as you said, I think he's the guy to to play with Devin Booker a little bit more if that's the way that they want to go. You know, Booker's been the last starter in at the moment in the rotation, so there's definitely a way that you can do it, um, even under the current way that Monty's kind of laying out his rotation. So we just got to, you know, we've got to watch it. So, uh, yeah, really interesting to watch. Not sure if you have anything else to talk about from the Kings game before we go to Did You Know, Max? Uh, no, I think that's it for the Kings game, other than it was just amazing to be there to witness the Suns' 30-point victory. Uh, hasn't happened very often. The energy in the crowd was fun. Uh, it was kind of half-fullish. And more than that. It was like three-fourths full. I hope to see if this team keeps playing this way. That thing needs to be full, and uh, it, it just it's just great to feel like the Suns are back in Phoenix and the spirits here again. It's just great, David. It was super loud last night, on, yes, know, watching on, on TV at least. Uh, you know, I had a thought to myself, I think it's been 2010 since I was last in Phoenix, Max, mm-hmm. and there hasn't been too many times watching at home at the comfort of my couch that I was kind of jealous not to be in the, in the arena, but last night... Uh, even with the ironic beat LA chance, I thought, uh, you know, that was a time that I really wish that I was in Phoenix. And, you know, maybe the day where I get the motivation to come over is coming sooner than I thought, because, uh, you know, I promised myself I wouldn't do it until there was actually a, a decent team that I was confident in to, to make it all the way over for, Max. If they make the playoffs, you'll have to uh, buy a ticket and get your ass over here. <laughs> I'm holding on to some long service leave at the moment, just as an aside. So uh, the the option <laughs> is there, Max. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and do uh, Did You Know before we get into maybe the most interesting game of all three in the Nuggets game. <laughs> all right, Max. With the news of Aiton's suspension dropping this week, it was pretty hard for me not to go down a NBA suspensions rabbit hole for Did You Know <laughs> this week. But Did You Know Aiton becomes just the second Phoenix Sun banned under Article 24 of the NBA Constitution, where the league has the power to hand down disciplinary action for on- and off-court discretions. First quiz straight up, Max. Can you name the other Phoenix Sun who's been banned for quite a significant period of time from the league? Oh, um, I cannot, David. Who is it? You would definitely know this guy. It is, of course, Richard Dumas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dumas was the 46th pick in the 91 NBA draft, but was banned for his entire first season after a substance abuse issue. This part I didn't actually know until this week, Max, but he went and played in Israel that year while he sat out from the Suns. But he returned in the 92-93 season where he gained second-team rookie honors for putting up 15.8 points, 4.6 boards, 1.3 assists, and 1.8 steals. By far his best season in the NBA where Phoenix, of course, went to the finals. He was banned again in 93-94, unfortunately, for a full season and a half. But in 2003, he did an interview with the Suns I found online, which appears the plan was for him to never return. However, Danny Manning had a knee injury and was neat, and he was therefore needed for 94-95 for just 15 games before eventually going to Philly, where it looked like he was originally planned to end up after being released by the Suns. Quick side note, in that 2003 interview, he spoke highly of one expected character on that team and perhaps one a little bit more unexpected. He repeatedly 
refers to Charles Barkley as the man in his interview, but Hmm. also explained how close he was to Oliver Miller. A great quote from the interview was Richard explaining, They bonded because they both had their problems, and I quote, He had his problems, his problems were that he liked to eat. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Anyway, Max, I won't dwell on Dumas too much longer as unfortunately the story doesn't really have a happy ending with him leaving the NBA and bouncing all around Europe and the States before getting into more trouble in 2013. Listeners can look up that if they are interested. It was actually in the state of Arizona. But Max, can you think of any other ex-Phoenix Suns who have served suspensions in the NBA, not while with the Suns, but at another point of their career? Uh, Michael Beasley had to have, right? That's that's true. Yes, he he served a couple of games. Oh man, let me. I'm trying to think. I don't know. Why don't you give them to me, David? Maybe thankfully, thankfully, there aren't too many. Hito Turgaglu and Jermaine O'Neal, uh, I believe, are the only other ones who pulled on the purple and orange and received suspensions, both with other teams. Hito was post Suns in 2013, where he was suspended for 20 games for testing positive to methanolone I'm going to say which he blamed on a trainer in Turkey (laughs) O'Neal was given 25 games for his role in the infamous Malice in the Palace which was well before he became a son and actually got reduced to 15 games on appeal something I'm sure many Suns fans listening hope happens to DeAndre Ayton and for some more obscure links to the Suns now ex-interim coach Lindsay Hunter was given 10 games for testing positive to Fentamine Suns draft pick Nate Robertson got 10 games for fighting with J.R. Smith. And Max, remember when the Suns traded Shaq for Ben Wallace and for a brief moment he was a Phoenix Sun? Yeah, well, he got (laughs) six games for shoving Ron Artest and essentially starting the malice in the palace that we mentioned before. But Max, we will end Did You Know This Week with the possible most famous band from an NBA perspective involving a Phoenix Sun which will likely remain so after all is even said and done with Aiton. Can you think who that might be, Max? The most famous band with the sun. I mean, I feel like this is probably should be hitting you over the head obvious, but I cannot think of it. It is Connie Hawkins, who before uh... he was a Phoenix Sun, was involved in his own controversy all the way back in 1961. So... Uh, uh, We'll give you, you know, the excuse of not coming up that with that one from 50 years ago, Max. <laughs> However, even the staunchest defenders of Aiton would likely agree Hawkins was way more hard done by than DeAndre. Why? The Hawks' name came up in an investigation into a point-shaving controversy in the college game, which started a huge gambling scandal involving quite a lot of people. But the hilarious part is that Hawkins borrowed just $200 from Jack... Molinus, who was at the center of the scandal, and that plus his name coming up in interviews was all that they had on him in the way of dirt. In fact, Hawkins was a freshman who, in that day and age, weren't even allowed to compete in varsity competitions, so even if he wanted to, there was literally no way he could have point-shaved Max. Despite all that, (laughs) Hawkins was expelled from Iowa and the NCAA, played in the ABL and ended up touring with the Harlem Globetrotters. He was informally banned from the NBA from 61 to 65, with the commissioner at the time stating he wouldn't approve any team's contract with him. And then he was formally banned in 66 
which Max just happens to be the episode number we are doing today. Mm. That ban resulted in a $6 million lawsuit against the NBA while Hawkins went on to win a title, regular season MVP and finals MVP in the ABA with Pittsburgh. But there's a fairy tale finish of sorts in the end, guys. The NBA realized they were screwed and settled for $1.6 million with Hawkins, plus gave him a spot with a new expansion team in the NBA, none other than our beloved Phoenix Suns. Hawkins played five seasons with the Suns, four all-star appearances, but just seven playoff games, and is now, of course, in the ring of honor. Max, let's hope for all of our sakes Aiton can bounce back from his much lesser suspension from the NBA and play many more years for the Suns than Hawkins ended up being allowed to. But for now, I guess it's time to moving on a little bit more about life without DeAndre Ayton and the Denver Nuggets game to finish, Max. Yeah, let's do it. What an odd game, David. Uh, as you mentioned <laughs> earlier, the Denver Nuggets ended up winning 108-107 to in overtime at home. It was their home opener. And David, in the first half, the Suns were spoiling it. They looked good. They were up at by 14 points. Uh, uh, you know, it left me with uh, bad memories for the Clippers game. You know, when we were putting up a lead on the Clippers, mm. you know, I was just kind of thinking back to that Nuggets game. But they clawed their way through it. Um, you know, Denver got back, uh, pulled the lead back. But, you know, to the Suns' credit, they didn't end there and just roll over like we all expected as soon as the lead was all gobbled up. They really fought this one out. Uh, it was hilarious at, at times, Max. You know, Rubio's mm-hmm. three clutch free throws to put the game into overtime was certainly not something that we saw coming, uh, but just an odd game overall. And as we said, the the first game with life without DeAndre Ayton, which might be the, the place to start here in terms of the adjustment uh, without Ayton and, and how the team looked without him, Max. Yeah, well, offensively, it was a bit of a rock fight on both sides, wasn't it? No one could really score in this game. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought maybe the revelation of this game, particularly in the first half, but really throughout was the job Aaron Baines did uh, replacing Aiton in, in his first game as a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really made things tough on Nikola Jokic, which is a, a hard thing to do because Nikola Jokic is very, very good. Um, he played 29 minutes. He went 6 for 10 from the field. He had a three-pointer, uh, three assists, seven. Uh, he had a steal. He was he was great, David. Uh, is this? I don't want to get too excited about Baines here. Like, am I, is he really this good, David? Is he going to keep doing this? Like, I keep hoping that like that's going to be the case, but I get nervous. I'm massively biased, so I'm probably not the person to ask. <laughs> a very, you know, even after the Clippers game last night, it just, yeah, I've been wanting an Aussie on this team for so long. So it's really, really fun to just watch me, uh, sorry, to watch Baines out there and maybe watch me watching Baines too, Max. But, <laughs> you know, he is this good. He's as advertised. You know, he's he's going to hit those open threes. He's a great, def- you know, smart defender, even though he can't jump over a jam tin, as I said last night when he got mm. that flagrant. I think he was clearly making a play on the ball against Zubac and just couldn't jump high enough to get it, and therefore his arm came down and hit him in the head, which I thought was ridiculous. But, you know, he is that. I think Jokic in this game refused to shoot the outside three very often and mm-hmm. was trying to pump fake, eight, uh, pump fake Baines, I should say. And he's just so wide that... All he was doing was taking a, a step to the left, and, and Jokic is pretty wide himself, particularly at the moment. So, you know, they were just <laughs> bumping each other constantly on those ball fakes. And, and 
Baines just wasn't falling for them. And, and that's probably a, a very small window into what you can expect from Baines in his all-round game. He's, he's just solid. He just makes the right plays. He knows his game. Like, how often do we talk about NBA players, you know, the ones that just really know their game and don't try and do mm-hmm. too much being so valuable on the court? You know, the Suns haven't had a lot of them. We've been dealing with a lot of young players that don't quite know their game and, and try and overdo things. So, you know, I think that's the thing with Baines. My biggest worry is he's not used to playing big minutes. He played 29 yep. in this one. Really glad they followed that up with just 23 in the Clippers game. He's got a big game against Rudy Gobert, as you alluded to before, mm-hmm. in the next one. So, yeah, I just think they need to watch his minutes because as we touched on before, uh, he gets in a bit of foul trouble, which might help the minutes but overall we can't afford to lose him because then we become kind of really thin you know we didn't touch on it up the top with the eight news but you know they may have a chance to bring someone in I think people have been clamoring for Alan Williams maybe even to come back from Russia but you know whoever they bring in this late in the season when most bigs are, are being gobbled up by teams on minimum contracts and things is not going to be as good as what Aaron Baines has given us right now Max that's for sure they tried to use Czech Diallo in this game for two minutes. That didn't go well, David, and they pulled the plug on that. <laughs> I one forgot me. about that. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, that was definitely not something that worked. I don't think we're going to see very much Czech Diallo going forward unless there are further injuries or, you know, some sort of emergency situation. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and talk about Devin Booker's game. He was pretty dreadful, especially shooting. He went 6 for 21, uh, 1 for 8 from 3. Just couldn't, just couldn't make anything. There was one, I think, in the third quarter where he was just – wide open there was no one within 10 feet of him and just I just rolled in and out of the rim yeah just wasn't his night he did I'll say heat up a little bit late uh he hit a huge three towards the end of regulation that allowed them to do and have the Ricky Rubio thing which was hilarious get fouled at half court yeah and uh bury all three free throws and in overtime he was a little bit better he did have the uh I, I like the decision I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this David the decision to let Booker uh try to win the game there with 18 seconds left they you know Rubio had been fouled out Baines was fouled out uh, and, Uber, and I think Uber was fouled out. Like so, they really needed to just like try to win the game there and not go to a second overtime. I was totally fine with it. Uh, it wasn't a great uh, decision by him to try to take it in like that and just try to draw a foul or whatever he was trying to do. But uh, I like the decision. What'd you feel about it? Yeah, I think even Zach Lowe touched on this. Did, the, Sun, yeah. the Suns are even getting attention from the big guys at the moment, Max. But you know, I think it was the right move to try and win the game, as you said. Couldn't go to another overtime. Uh, they'd lost those three guys in the space of what felt like 15 seconds uh, with them all fouling out. So, you know, going for the game was definitely the right move in my book. Uh, I would have just liked, as I highlighted in seven plays, I would have liked to have seen get the ball to Tyler Johnson, either hit the open three, or as we've seen from Tyler, if the guy closes out on him, he's actually quite good at taking two dribbles in and hitting the mid-range as well, and, and that would have won the game too. So, you know, it, it's interesting. I think with the night that he was having, he was still very impressive with his playmaking and trusting his teammates. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, just when it came to that last play, it would have been one where I would have loved to have seen him trust his teammates rather than put the team on his back because it just wasn't a good attempt at the end of the day. I, even if Tyler Johnson missed his shot, I probably would have been happier with it as a as an open shot versus what Devin Booker ended up getting, Max. Yeah, Booker just didn't really have a chance. It really seemed like he was trying to draw contact and get to the line. Um, I and he, noted, been... he did note as much too, I think, uh, yeah. after the game. He said, uh, you're not going to get that call 
going to the bucket and uh, I need to do better. And, you know, probably if he was going to take it himself, you know, we expect him to stop on a dime and, and, you know, raise up and hit that little short mid-range. But I think in the back of his head is what you just talked about before, that one where he had no one within the space of anywhere near him and still miss the shot. And that's why he wasn't confident going to a shot that he's normally pretty damn confident in max. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, guys are going to have games like this. It happens to everybody. Um, and the fact the Suns were as competitive as they were with Booker playing like that, I think is, and some people say there's no such thing as moral victories, but I would say this, or sorry, more, yeah, moral wins. But this, this game in the context of the other two games, I think feels like a moral victory. David? I think it's um, it's funny that you tweeted that because I think I tweeted the exact opposite um, with, without seeing your tweet beforehand. So we disagree on something, Max, for once. But, you know, my, I think we both had the, the end feeling around, you know, the fight that they put up. Um, but, mm. you know, it, it feels a little bit better now that they've got that Clippers win under their belt. But, you know, I'm sure Monty wouldn't have... Uh, he doesn't seem like the type of guy to take a moral victory or anything like that. But again, hindsight 2020, now that they have the Clippers win and they're sitting two and one, then you kind of feel a little bit better about the way that that Denver game went. But probably the last thing of all of these games that we haven't really touched on is just the overall defense, Max. And uh, it probably, you know, it, it did come through in the Clippers game quite a bit, but the Denver game, it's probably more relevant because offensively mm-hmm. they weren't feeling themselves as much as the other two games and they still managed to stay in the game. So it's probably uh, the game out of the three where it came to the four uh, as much as it did, Max. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think we're seeing the value of a defensive system here because we don't really have very good defensive players. Rubio's decent. Ubre's decent. Uh, Javon Carter is pretty good, yep. but you know overall, especially in the bigs, other than Baines, they're not great on defense. But when you just get into the right spots, when you have your players knowing how to play together, you know they always say playing on a string is the old cliche. But that's sort of what it is. If you can rotate correctly and just not blow wide open, you know, assignments like that's that's really it goes a long way. And they're doing that now. And I think they are benefiting a little bit from from shooting luck. I haven't totally looked into the numbers, but just anecdotally watching the games, it seems like other teams are missing a fair amount of uh, open threes. But uh, that'll happen. I mean, you know, everybody gets open threes in the NBA. The fact that the Suns are just not allowing, you know, wide open layup after wide open layup, which is what we saw last year, it's going a long way towards them being reasonable on defense. Yeah, I totally agree with that point about the the anecdotal evidence. Again, I don't have numbers to back it up, but particularly the Nuggets and the Clippers Mm -hmm. game, I think early on in the game, we were very lucky that some, you know, what are generally pretty good shooters missed some pretty wide open looks from both of those teams. And they might've been, you know, facing a different challenge from the outset, but you know, that's the NBA. You ride your luck when you've got it. I think interestingly for me, the Kings had 11 fast break points in that game. Uh, Denver had 14 in theirs mm. and the Clippers as I get to it had just 15 and, and in all three of those games we had more than the opponent I believe so you know the transition defense seems to be the big change for me other than just mm-hmm. the system that you noted I think they're making a really great effort to get back on D uh, and stop the ball handler and they're just making really smart decisions you know we keep saying it on everything in this pod but just smart IQ players on the floor means that uh, everyone's on a string a little bit more and, and working together. And 
fouling a lot. I know fans are getting very frustrated with the calls by the officials at the moment. Uh, I'm not too worried about it. I think the team's feisty and they're going to get a reputation for being feisty and the calls will back off a little bit. You know, I tweeted last night, I think it's kind of the price to pay when you're coming from Mm -hmm. so far back in terms of your reputation. Like if we just have to get some pretty bad foul calls to start the season, I'm totally cool with that because I think things will adjust eventually. Uh, And if that means that the Suns are getting known as a feisty defensive team, then I'm all for it, Max. But we had more fouls than the opponent each game, 25, 35, and then 34 last night. But the, I guess, uh, converse of that is we've just been in the penalty ourselves at really key times in these games. The Denver one in particular, I think in two different quarters, they managed to get in the bonus with lots of time left on the clock and definitely in the Clippers one as well. And I'm not sure what to think about that. I don't know if it's a trend or something that we're doing, but um, yeah, that's just probably my last thought on that. But the defense has been very impressive for, as you said, a team that isn't full of amazing defenders. I think it'll probably regress a little bit, but some of it's real. We have more aggressive players on our team now. Like, Dragon Bender wasn't getting to the line. Frank Kaminsky went 11 for 11 from the line in the Denver game. That's just a difference. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new thing that we did not have. Uh, Kelly Oubre, I think, is obviously very responsible for it. Uh, Rubio's been getting to the line a decent amount. We have guys who attack the rim, and, you know, surprising, when you attack the rim, you tend to get to the free throw line yep. more often than not. Uh, I, I agree there's been some ticky-tack bad calls against the Suns, particularly in this Denver game, but yeah, I tend to think that's tough tend to come around. Um, and the Suns, as you said, are, are building their reputation. It's often on a player-by-player basis. The refs will, like, for example, we talked about Mikel Bridges earlier. Mikel Bridges gets very little credit from the refs. Uh, as he gets better and you know gets more of a reputation as a defender, he will get those calls more. Uh, one thing that was weird in the in the Denver game, I don't know if it's just because he wasn't playing very well, but Booker wasn't getting the calls he typically gets. No. Um, that was tough. The Clippers game, he got him again. So it's interesting. I think this is the kind of thing that waxes and wanes. Um, it was frustrating in the moment, but it's not something that I'm going to be concerned about too much going forward unless it becomes a trend. And, you know, the Utah game is going to be tough. Utah is going to be – that's a hard team to kind of try to go at in the paint against. So I'll be interested to see if we can keep this up against them. Yeah, it's going to be different nights in the NBA with different looks. Uh, I think the shooting is going to be something that we lean on quite a bit. Obviously, you're going to have rough nights. Uh, Probably the positive thing, again, from this Denver game in particular is when you had a rough night shooting, they were still able to lean on a couple of other things and, and keep themselves in the game so Mm -hmm. you know that's encouraging uh and that's the encouraging most encouraging thing about the defense overall is that it may actually be able to keep us in some games max and and then you know like last night uh, allow booker to take over um when his time comes so something to watch both from a fouls perspective and and just how good this team can be defensively particularly as the rotation seems to you know bear itself out you know a few injuries here have probably thrown a few curveballs and we noted that uh, in our off-season pods about why we didn't want to talk about the rotation too much because that's what happens in the NBA so you know trying to pick your your best 10 players and and who's going to play in the rotation can sometimes be a little bit of a pointless exercise because not everyone is healthy very often and we've already seen that three games in both rookies missing time Rubio missing time and and obviously the the big surprise with DeAndre Ayton so uh, all of a sudden I think there's you know, at least while Ty Jerome's out, there's there's really only ten guys to play on this team, and and that makes all those conversations a, a little bit pointless now, Max. 
Yeah, it does to an extent. And I'm sure when Aiden gets back, and especially when Ty Jerome gets back, those conversations will start up again. I'm really interested to see uh, what they're going to do with Ty Jerome because he really fits the, you know, sort of the MO of what this team is doing. 100%. Move the ball around, shooting thing. He's going to be perfect for that. But, you know, if Javon Carter keeps playing this way, it's hard to take him off the court, especially since he's probably going to be better defensively than Ty Jerome, although Ty Jerome does have better size. Yep. So that'll be interesting to see when he gets back. Um, anything else on this game, David? Maybe we should talk a little bit about Kelly Oubre again because he was a monster here too. Yeah, I mean, I'm just touching on your Ty Jerome Carter point. You know, I kind of thought that they would alternate between the two of them when they need defense versus playmaking. Yeah. And I, I don't want to, you know, be negative on Carter because he's been very, very good so far to start the season. But, you know, he's not a playmaker. Like, he just he no. can't run point, particularly even, you know, like Ty Jerome as a rookie seems to be able to from both what we saw in the college tape and, and the preseason. So, yeah, maybe they'll have the luxury of kind of alternating between those two for spot minutes, but we'll see. But, yeah, Kelly Oubre, we, we definitely need to give him a little bit more of a shout-out, particularly from this Denver game. As you said, he was 7 of 12. I think he's shooting 51% on the season over these three games, which is, is just surprising mm. in general because we thought he was a, a little bit of a chucker. But uh, again, um, probably what we touched on before, just the heart and soul of the team that can kind of keep them chugging along in games like this Nuggets one, Max. Yeah, he made a couple of huge threes in this game too, which is, you know, three-point shooting for him is you know off and on kind of thing, but he really hit some big ones. He did that last year too. Yeah. He kind of has a knack for that. Uh, two assists, two steals. Uh, he's just all over the place, man. Uh, I think... He, other than Booker, losing him would be the most difficult thing for the team to overcome because they don't really have anybody else who does what he does. Everyone else, they can kind of, you know, you know, mix and match, get some other guys in. Even I wouldn't have said this about Rubio, but even without Rubio, they were able to make it work. Yep. It would be tough for them to replace Ubre's energy. Yeah, I agree. Um, just, I guess, one negative from the Denver game. He was pretty horrendous in the last kind of four or five minutes defensively. Yeah. Gave up, I think, two and ones, another backdoor. Um, just kind of switched off there. And, and that's, again, something to watch as the offensive load goes on him, whether he switches off a little bit too much on defense. But he certainly makes up for it with a lot of other plays. Just need to see him lock in, particularly in those really key moments to end games. But yeah, you're right. I don't think they can lose him right now, particularly with Aiton out. He's the clear second option in terms of how offense goes. And uh, other than Devin Booker, the guy that's really... Um, going to be able to take advantage of all the space that's out there and, and the way that the Suns are moving the ball. You know, 19 free throws so far um, is just exactly what we hoped from him. Uh, and as you said, he's just uh, a monster when he attacks the rim. Pretty hard to stop, actually, just because he's so long and, and so quick mm-hmm. um, and he's getting pretty crafty around the rim. Yeah, and if, I mean, we talked about it earlier, but if he can keep up the free throw shooting and make something, you know, around the 85% range, that's going to be huge for him. Mm. Uh, the other thing I know on him, and this is all part of the energy point, 7.3 rebounds a game is great for somebody uh, from his position. Two offensive, 5.3 defensive. And when Kelly Oubre gets a defensive rebound, it's better than when a big does because Kelly Oubre can just go with it. So I, I love seeing that. Um, and he has been. Basically, he really has yeah, been just absolutely. going with it. And I've loved seeing that. You know, um, I think the, the commentary last night on one of his rebounds called it a man rebound. And, and that's mm-hmm. really what we've seen from Oubre a couple of times when there's been some loose balls or 50-50 rebounds. He just 
uses his athleticism and he just goes up and gets it. He's higher than everyone, high points the ball and uh, brings down the board. And as you said, he can just take off from there, which is uh, a really nice aspect of Ubre's game, uh, particularly because he's attacking the bucket and not taking dumb shots that really becomes a weapon for the team. Yeah, it really does. I mean, if he he's not going to keep playing this well, but if he did, he'd be an all-star probably. He's He's been that good. Yep. Um, he, he won't keep doing it, but he I, even if he regresses a, a significant amount, he'll still be really, really good for the role he's in. So I'm excited about him. I think everyone should be excited about Kelly Oubre. That contract's looking really good. A lot of these contracts are looking pretty good, David. <laughs> yeah, James Jones looks like a genius right now. So uh, long may it continue, Max. I hope so. So uh, should, should we move on to our new segment, which we're both very excited about? I think we should, other than maybe just saying, you know, well done to James Jones. It is only... Yeah. Uh, a very small sample size right now. But, you know, we all knew it. All of us fans and people that have Suns podcasts and, and write articles could see that the media, national media attention on the moves that James Jones made was a little bit head in the sandy. And, uh, yep. you know, looking at individual tr- transactions instead of, you know, what James Jones was left with and, and trying to actually make a competent basketball team. And it's just really good to see that essentially play out at least over only in three games so far because you can really start to justify taking some of those hits on individual transactions when you kind of go, hey, uh, I just created what's a, a pretty um, you know, formidable uh, rotation right now for a team that uh, didn't have one for the last four or five years, Max. It's real funny. I, I keep coming back to that one GM that I think you tweeted this out. The GM who was asked about the Suns is like, oh, terrible. F off season. Every move is bad. Don't understand what they're doing. But, uh, you know, look at their team now. They're, they're probably going to be a lot better. That, <laughs> yeah. That and summarizes the whole thing. Exactly. That's the perfect way to end that bit. We can move on, Max. Oh, right. So we're both really excited about this. This is David's idea. It's based on Aussie rules football. I think that soccer does this too. Is that right, David? Uh, I actually can't answer that. But yeah, in AFL, the the umpires actually give their votes after the game. And that's how we uh, give our MVP, basically, at the end of the season. So we're going to steal that idea out uh, and move to five votes because we're just going to be doing it on a weekly basis rather than a per game basis, Max. But I'll let you take over the rest yeah so and i think they do this in soccer i think it's like three stars two stars one star we're doing five of them so we're doing it on a weekly basis but essentially we rank the five best players of the week we're going to keep track of uh our rankings throughout the season you get five points if you're the best one point if you're not i guess the fifth best not the worst fifth best <laughs> yep uh and at the end of the season we'll tally it all up it should be fun a good way to summarize what happened over the week and if there are more weeks like this david it'll be a nice exercise for us we'll enjoy it and maybe a tight race too so that'll be really interesting to see and i'll throw it out here rather than tweeting it anyone listening uh if you feel like you're going to watch enough suns games this season uh, and be able to consistently send me your five, four, three, two, and one after every podcast. When we do it, I'm happy to collate all of them and essentially give our MVP uh, and a full leaderboard uh, from the seven seconds or less podcast uh, on the Suns team at the end of the season, Max. I love the idea. I love the listener participation. It should be really fun. The only question I've left for you, David, is should we start from the bottom or the top? You always start with the best, Max. Let's start with the best. All right, I'll give mine first, you give yours, and then we'll go go back and forth. Okay. Uh, I think we're probably going to share the best. I think the best is obvious. Uh, he's been the most consistent. He's been, as we said many times already, the heart and soul of the team. It's Kelly Oubre, David. 
I differ from you, Max. Really? Wow. Yep. Okay. Who do you have? Uh, I'm going with the top end talent. I'm going with Devin Booker. I just think that... I mean, I get it. That <laughs> game against the Clippers, uh, getting the W in particular, you know, the, the thing that we see in AFL is the best on ground always gets... Uh, it will generally is from the winning team. And I think uh, my very short window into this process that will probably play out throughout the year is I'm definitely going to be paying a lot of attention to the, the games in particular that the Suns win. So, yeah, I'm going with Devin Booker. Booker's definitely the best player. I'm not going to argue with you there. Um, I mean, it's obvious why I dinged him a little bit. Six for 21 in the Denver game. That that was the reason. It's fair. Um, Uber has just been the most consistent player. He's been good in all the games. He's been great in, uh, I'd say, the latter two games. Yep. Um, probably the best player in the Denver game. Maybe you could say Baines or, or Rubio, but just he's just been awesome. Uh, but I mean, I'll go ahead and go to my next one. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you too much. I have Booker uh, the next one for four points. Yep, and it's not like I've got Ubre out of the votes entirely or even down towards the bottom. I think it was a very easy one for me to give him the four votes, Max. Yep, and those two I imagine will be high on this list throughout the whole season. It's you know it stands the reason that Booker will win it. Um, but uh, Uber will probably be a strong contender to be second. Uh, you want to go ahead and give your third first? Yep, this is probably the first surprise, although maybe Ubre is too. Um, you know, Ubre is shaping up to be our second most important player, as we've said yeah. throughout the pod. But this guy is uh, shaping up to be even more important with Aiton being out. And I'm giving three votes for the week to Frank Kaminsky, Max. Interesting, yeah. I mean, he's not my number three, but I considered him. The next, the next couple are all pretty close. Yeah, um, he's going to be huge going forward. I actually had a different Aiton replacement. Big. I had Aaron Baines third. Ooh, that surprise. It is a little I, bit of a surprise. I think even for my bias, I'm probably going to be a little bit harsh on Baines, particularly in these voting situations. But uh, I guess tell me your case. You don't need me to say it. It's, particularly in the Denver game, I think he was really the reason why they were competitive. I think the way he was handling Jokic and sort of anchoring that defense was just massive. And then the Clippers game, sort of a similar thing. I just think he was really, the, the, he was kind of the stabilizing rock when the team could have really gone off the rails. I think he was just making so many solid, smart plays. Like you say, he's not out of position ever. He doesn't, the other team can't, here's how I'll, how I'll phrase it. It doesn't come too easy to the other team when we have these injuries and such because Aaron Baines doesn't let it come easy to them. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. I'm used to seeing that from Aaron Baines you know, throughout his entire career, particularly playing for our international team as well. And I just think uh, the, I guess, addition of him into the starting lineup is going to mean great things. He's a great, you know, Ubre's the heart and soul, but, you know, there was even a couple of times last night where Baines is getting into the opposition. You know, I tweeted that the NBA hates Aussies, which I think is very true because of the way that we play, and he's going to get under people's skin. Um, you know, he ran over to Booker on that and one and, you know, wanted to mm-hmm. pick him up off the floor if he didn't get up off the floor himself already. Um, you know, we're going to see more and more. And, you know, the, the fans are already or all were already in love with Aaron Baines before he'd even played a game. But, yeah, I think that it's going to become even bigger love affair, uh, at least for the next 25 games, Max. Is the Holmes-Baines argument over yet? Can we, can we end that, please? <laughs> yes. Rash- Rashawn Holmes does not start these past two games and do what Aaron Baines did. I'm sorry. He just, he just can't. Agreed. 
All right. Uh, I'll go to my number two first. I have Ricky Rubio here, David. And I do not disagree with you. I think uh, if it wasn't for him missing a game, maybe he would have ended up being higher up in the leaderboard mm-hmm. because I think we both agree his impact on this team goes beyond uh, his shooting numbers, even though I'd love to see them improve a little bit. You know, lots of smart people that have followed Rubio over the years note that he's pretty streaky. He'll go through these patches mm-hmm. and then he'll go through patches like he shot in the World Cup. He timed that perfectly and was really good. And <laughs> and then I guess that's why we have averages because we'll get to the end of the year and he'll kind of average out about where he always does. But yep, two votes for me for Ricky Rubio, Max. Yeah, he's someone who, uh, when we do this list at some point in the season, will be the five guy because he'll have a streaky where he's really good. Yeah. Um, my number one, I'll go ahead and give mine since you mentioned him earlier. Frank Kaminsky, I have him here. Um, you, really, you could order Baines, Rubio, and Kaminsky in any order for me. Um, they've all been great. Uh, I can't believe what Frank's been showing so many different things. I think it's great. He didn't hit a three until the third game, and then he hit three of them. He had 11 free throws, as we said, in the second game. He just he does a lot of different kinds of things. I think he sort of epitomizes sort of what uh, Monty wants to do. Um, I, I, I think he's just been awesome. Uh, I, real quick before you give yours, I'll say I have honor, honorable mentions for Tyler Johnson and Javon Carter, both of whom deserve to be mentioned. Yep, and I, I'm glad that you mentioned both of those. I've thrown in Aaron Bain, so we've essentially got the same okay. five players here, but in a different order, and that's the beauty of these leaderboards and will be the beauty if listeners decide to throw us their votes as well because we'll get uh, a great mix, I'm sure, even if it's the same players with different numbers against their name. But I've gone Baines for one. You've already thrown out a couple of honorable mentions. I will say that I was that positive on Aiton's first game that I thought about throwing him a one vote here but the fact that he got himself suspended for 25 games pretty much uh, (laughs) negates any votes on a per week basis here for DeAndre Ayton so there we have it our first five vote segment uh, and long may it continue Max I had the same exact thought by the way I thought about him for one I was like no you're ineligible sorry (laughs) (laughs) Um, real quick I'm gonna throw you on the spot here if you don't mind do it can you predict? Let's predict what we think the five are going to be at the end of the year. Who have the most votes in order? Ooh, I think you know what made me think that this exercise might not be worth it is I think Devin Booker is going to end at the top of the leaderboard by the yeah. by the end. But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see uh, the full leaderboard rather than just the winner, which is why I wanted to do the full five votes here because I think that's going to be really interesting. You know, with Aiton missing 25 games, he's going to be at a severe handicap, so not even sure whether he'll factor in the top five at the end. I think, as we've harped on this whole podcast, Kelly Oubre uh, has a very good chance of being in the top three, as does Ricky Rubio. And then, you know, if Baines and, and Frank round out the top five there... Uh, that would say a lot for how the rest of their season went and, and probably how the Suns are looking. You know, I would throw a bone to, I guess, Tyler Johnson and probably Dario Saric. You know, if yeah. he has a lot of games like uh, the Clippers one, he's going to get himself in lots of weekly votes and, and will probably feature in the leaderboard at the end too, Max. Yeah, it's a great point. No, I agree with you. I think Booker, Ubre, and Rubio are the favorites to be the top three, probably in that order. Um, and then I think Aiden might seek into the one or two spot just because he's going to have some four and fives and a lot of the one getter voters are just not going to be, you know, very consistent. Yeah. But I, I think the most interesting thing is the, I think the favorite for the four spots probably Frank right now. I think it probably is too, which is not something we would have predicted before these uh, three games started. But 
Um, I may have a, a little question for you around your little point on eight and there coming up in seven seconds or less, Max. All right, let's get there right now. Seven seconds or less is a segment where one of us asks the other three seconds for which he has not prepared and only has seven seconds to answer. Uh, it's David's turn this week to ask me the questions. David, I am ready. All right, I've got to admit first that I wrote these questions before the Clippers game, listeners, so mm. forgive me a little bit, but I'll push on anyway. Number one, in the next 25 games, I see winnable games against Memphis twice, Miami, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Sacramento, Minnesota twice, Washington, Dallas, Charlotte, and Orlando, and maybe at least one against the Pelicans as well. The question though, Max, how many wins do you think the Aiton suspension potentially robs the Suns of before he returns? Uh, well, it's impossible to get uh, games robbed of you if you win them all. So 24-1. I guess they lost a different game, so 24-1. Uh, no, I, I, like I said, I think as much as I think Aiton's probably the second or third best player in this team, I think they have sort of the, the resources as long as they stay healthy to sort of fill in the gaps and not lose too much yep. with it. I mean, fans tend to overrate the amount of games teams lose because of particular players. Even the best players in the league are only worth so many games. Um, uh, maybe one. I, I go with one, David. Alrighty. Yeah, I, I think I wrote that thinking maybe it might be a few more, but uh, yeah, on what we've seen, uh, unless like we alluded to before, injuries and things hit, yes. I, I don't think we'll be able to blame too much on DeAndre Ayton by the time he comes back from his suspension in terms of what our overall record is, which is great. But number two, we often talk about numbers not being everything with DeAndre Ayton, and this is what I was alluding to before, Max. What do we realistically need to see from him or for him to average after his return to leave this suspension in the review mirror and also show that he cares about the fact that he let the team down? And I'll add in, because you said it, uh, you know, if you want to think about it through a lens of how he gets himself into the top five of the leaderboard, uh, even after missing 25 games, how does he do that, Max? I think we already saw it, David. He just needs to be game one DeAndre Ayton consistently yep. all the time. Yep. If he shows up to every single game and plays that way, I'm going to have no problem with him. If he's better than that, great in certain games. But if he's literally just that, uh, you know, four out of five nights, that's going to be more than enough for me for his second season. I like it. I like it. And number three, an easiest one to finish here, Max. I'm going to read out the games for this week before our next pod, and I want you to predict if we win or not. Jazz. Let's do it. Jazz at home. Oh, man. See, that's one of the hardest matchups we could possibly have. I think that's going to be a close loss, David. Warriors away. Uh, I don't know if you've checked the score of that game right now as we're recording, David. They're getting blown out by OKC. I think that we probably should be favored in that game. And the Grizzlies away. I think that's a win, David. Although the Grizzlies have been kind of you know weirdly competitive so far. They're still 0-2, um, and that's a team that we should beat. So we're 2-1 currently. You hovered around maybe predicting a win against the Jazz, but yeah. at the worst, listeners, Max expects us to be, I believe, 4-2 and two through six games to start the season, which is crazy to even say, Max. It's bizarre. I can't believe I'm picking that. But, uh, you know, and maybe we go to the, the Warriors and they just blow us out. Steph Curry hit, scores 50 or whatever. It could happen, whatever. It's the NBA. But it's just nice to have this kind of confidence and optimism 
David, it's it's been a really fun start to the season. It's hard to overstate how happy this is making uh, me, and I know you as well. Yep, and probably everyone listening as well. And uh, let's hope that it keeps up and we're not jinxing it here. But yeah, there will be <laughs> some losses along the way, but we're seeing a much more competitive basketball team, which gives us a little bit more confidence predicting some of those wins that you just did, even though they're away from home, Max. Yeah, I'm not ready to say they're going to make the playoffs or anything like that, although I wouldn't say it's impossible. But it seems pretty clear by now and safe to predict that they're going to be more confident than they were last year. David, can we go that far? I would definitely go that far. And that's really what we're asking for. We wanted, uh, you know, 30-something wins would be nice, but we just wanted them to be competitive on a night-to-night basis. And it looks like we finally got that, and uh, that makes all of us fans very happy. But that is it for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. As always, it really helps. David, anything to read out in the review department? There is. Cog4 jumped on after last episode and said, this is the most enjoyable Suns podcast. Love the did you know in the research and the thought that goes into the fun facts. Keep up the good work, guys. So thanks very much. That was another five stars and we're very close to that target. So if anyone else wants to get read out at the end of the pod, feel free to jump on. But let's hope the Suns can keep things as interesting as they have in week one for a little bit longer, Max, and keep us uh, very motivated to jump on on a Monday morning and record uh, for the listeners. And I thank you very much for sharing uh, the first part of my birthday with me, even uh, before my wife. So thanks very much for that, Max. (laughs) Yes, I said it offline, but I don't think I said it while we're recording. Happy birthday, David. (laughs) Thank you very much.